Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and the effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Dan Egan will join us to discuss the devil's element. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Grok's Science Show. Well, when one hears about phosphorus, one may think of some of the most lethal substances on Earth. But it's also a key component of one of the most vital fertilizers. Mr. Dan Egan explores this issue in the book, The Devil's Element. Mr. Egan is a New York Times bestselling author, a two-time finalist for the Pulitzer Prize, and winner of the Los Angeles Time Book Prize. The new book is entitled The Devil's Element. Mr. Egan, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok's Science Show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Certainly a pleasure. Certainly a great book uh, you put together here, The Devil's Element. Curious why you decided to put this book together. Well, I wrote a book in 2017 called The Death and Life of the Great Lakes. And while doing research for that book, I spent a lot of time on Lake Erie, which at the time and to this day still is plagued by algae outbreaks. And I was looking at the causes and the potential uh, cures for all this. And it really came down to phosphorus in the form of chemical fertilizer washing off of croplands and also manure washing off of croplands in the western basin of Lake Erie. So when I finished that book, the end of 2017, I was talking to the editor at the publisher, W.W. W. Norton, and he asked if I had any other ideas. And I said, well, I got really sidetracked on this first book by Phosphorus. I think it would be worth doing a whole book on. It took a couple of weeks to convince him, but he agreed. And that launched me on like a, almost a four-year odyssey to write the book, The Devil's Element, Phosphorus in a World Out of Balance. Phosphorus, of course, being a component of a lot of these fertilizers, but the environmental consequences can be quite devastating because of its prolific use. Yeah, you know, in the book, I discuss the idea of the phosphorus paradox. Uh, it's essential. We, we need phosphorus. It's in every living cell on Earth. If there were no phosphorus, there would be no life on Earth. There is no substitute for it. At the same time, we figured out over the last couple of centuries how to squeeze more phosphorus out of the Earth than would naturally be leaching into the natural world. And that's been a great boon for humanity because we've got seven, eight billion people on the planet and they're headed toward nine billion. And there's no way we wouldn't we'd be able to do this without chemical fertilizer, of which phosphorus is a key component, along with nitrogen and potassium. So it's really been a miracle that we, we've been able to figure out how to, to coax so much out of our croplands. The downside to all this is that we've overused it in many cases to the detriment of our water bodies because it washes off unused phosphorus, washes off croplands and ends up in our fresh water bodies where it, its ability to fertilize doesn't, doesn't disappear, but it instead fertilizes not soybeans and kernels of corn, but toxic algae. And then to further add a little complexity to this paradox is that we're, we're starting to run low on our reserves. The United States does not have an infinite supply of rock-based phosphorus. Most of it is mined in Florida, and we're extracting it on a pace where we could run into trouble in three or four decades, at which point we may become more dependent on other nations for our, our nutrition. And so you think about 
energy security, well, nutritional security is at least as important because there's workarounds to replacing carbon-based energy sources like oil, but there is no workaround for replacing phosphorus. We uh, look at it as being uh, something that we need for all of our survival. The mining, the only source that we can get it, can we recapture some of the phosphorus that's potentially lost in all this runoff? Yeah, that's kind of a major point of the book, which is really not any kind of call to action or anything like that. It's just illuminating a problem that I don't think enough people are thinking about. And yes, absolutely, we could be doing a much better job of managing the manure. I mean, it's often used and spread on, on farm fields as a, as a nutrient, but sometimes it's spread on fields, not just because the fields need the nutrients, but because people need to get rid of their manure because it backs up every day. And so if we could figure out a system to better harvest the, the phosphorus and other things of value in that manure, we'll go a long way to creating a more sustainable uh, nutritional future for the coming generations. Why is it that you think phosphorus has gone overlooked? Well, the relative abundance of it. I mean, we were on the hunt for phosphorus for centuries. We didn't necessarily know that it was phosphorus, but um, in fertilizing fields, ever since agriculture started some 10,000 years ago, people were always tinkering with applying things on the croplands to sustain productivity. And, you know, early on, that was manure, animal and human as well. And you know, it evolved into just anything people could think of that would work. And one of the things they hit on were uh, shavings from bones that were used to make knife handles in England back in the early 1800s. And those bone chips worked miracles on growing crops, but there was only so many bone chips from the knife factory. And then ultimately, there's only so much bones to be harvested from, from livestock that the uh, English ended up essentially looting battlefields for bones, human bones. They they went to Waterloo soon after that battle was over and took all the bones back across the English Channel, built these bone-crushing mills, and then started spreading it across the countryside to grow more turnips and such. We moved on from that because there's only so many bones that they could harvest, and the, the hunt for phosphorus took, took us to the Guano Islands off of Peru, which are just mounds of bird waste that are rich with phosphorus and nitrogen and some potassium as well, and those are the three critical fertilizing elements, NPK. It's what you'll see on a bag of fertilizer. You go to Home Depot. So they thought there was an inexhaustible supply of this bird poop in, in off of the coast of South America, but it was played out in a matter of decades. And so today where we get our phosphorus is from relatively rare pockets of sedimentary rock that for whatever reason are packed with lots of phosphorus. I mean, sedimentary rock the rocks that they're mining really is it's just compacted life that's accreted on the ocean floor and then somehow made its way back up onto land through seismic processes. And so we have these special rock deposits. And the U.S. has, like I mentioned earlier, enough to go several decades. So people, and for a while, it was also thought inexhaustible. So people didn't really think about it. But now that horizon's starting to uh, the surface, if you will, and it's got people thinking because we are dependent on other places for phosphorus. It's it's potentially disruptive. 80% of the world's known reserves are in Morocco and Western Sahara. And the Western Sahara, the big phosphorus mine there is kind of a point of contention between native people of that region of the Sahara Desert and the Moroccans who occupied the area back in the 1970s and now controlled the mine. It could certainly shift the balance of power in the region and maybe the world if everything comes dependent on that 80% or so. Absolutely. Yeah. And so you were asking why people don't think about this, and it's just they haven't had to. 
And if we get if we get this right, maybe they won't have to. I mean, there's a lot of phosphorus to be recaptured in the waste streams of both agriculture and humans as well. I mean, the, the technologies exist, so you could pull phosphorus out of human waste, purify it, and market it in pellets that would be every bit as pure as anything coming out of a modern fertilizer factory. We just don't have the incentive to do it yet. And I, I don't know why, because we do have a lot of people who care a lot about their lakes, ponds, rivers that are being uh, swamped with this toxic algae that is fueled by this uh, overuse of phosphorus for the last century or so. You mentioned there's that big cost of phosphorus that's run off that's causing this algae bloom, this overuse of phosphorus. Well, the city of Toledo lost its drinking water supply for several days back in 2014 because of a plume of this of this toxic algae, or more specifically, the toxin produced by this algae, made its way into the city's drinking water system. And they had to basically order people not to, to drink the water coming out of their faucets. And they couldn't boil it to make it safe because that would only concentrate the toxin. So the National Guard had to be called in to bring in baby formula by the pallets truckers of, of water. And this is for a community that sits on the edge of the world's largest freshwater system. It was poisoned in that area uh, by too much phosphorus going into the lake. And most all that phosphorus is coming off of egg lands. There are agriculture lands. There are other sources. To a much lesser degree, you'll have uh, some municipal wastes are contributing to the flow and just run off from the landscape. Golf courses to a lesser degree. And lawn fertilizers, they pretty much phased out phosphorus for a lot of those products. So they aren't the big drivers of this. Unfortunately, the big driver at the moment is agriculture. And, and I don't want to pick on agriculture. I don't know anybody who does. We all eat and, you know, it's what the, the job they do is, is the definition of essential. They're just working in the system that has kind of evolved and that many of them have inherited. And given the direction we're going, the only thing as important as food, and maybe even a little bit more important as food, is safe drinking water. And the two, in some ways, are on a collision course. And we've got to recognize this and do a better job of regulating how farmers use their chemical fertilizer, phosphorus specifically, and how to keep it from soiling our waters. And this isn't just a U.S. problem. This is a global problem. And it's, it is getting worse because every year the load of phosphorus into the fresh waters is growing. And year after year, it's, the water can take only so much. And back in the 1960s, Lake Erie was by many called the Dead Sea and America's Dead Sea. And that at the time was because of algae blooms driven by phosphorus. It was a little bit different story back then. That was phosphorus that was primarily coming from industries and from uh, municipal sewage treatment plants because phosphorus was a big component of detergents that emerged after World War II. So we just sent this you know, pulse of super fertilizing stuff into our lakes in the 50s and 60s to the point where so much algae would grow it eventually dies and its decomposition burns up oxygen and that's what was creating these dead zones that drove to radical change in the way phosphorus uh, or the way detergents were, were made. They basically pulled phosphorus from it. Now it's time to think about agriculture and we're not quite there as far as I'm concerned. We're not thinking hard enough about it yet. Are there any health risks for having too much phosphorus in the environment? Yeah, I mean, health risks in terms of this algae, it is poisonous. It, it doesn't take a, a sleuth. You could just Google blue-green algae and dog deaths. They're, they're very common. Uh, it's a liver toxin. It makes people sick. And there's some concern, emerging concerns, that it could also be uh, neurotoxin and affect uh, people who don't even swim or live right on the water because 
some of these toxins can aerosolize. And a lot of this is just emerging theory, but there are worries that they, you know, they've identified clusters of neurological diseases near water bodies. I'm thinking of a study in New Hampshire in particular, there was elevated cases of diseases like ALS for people who lived within a relatively short distance of waters that were infested with this toxic algae. Now, that's not necessarily causation, but there is a correlation there, and there there's more research emerging that has people worried that this isn't just a problem for somebody who wants to go swimming or lives right on a lake. It's a societal problem. Was there anything that would particularly surprise you in terms of use of phosphorus? Well, yeah, just something that's so important that is so taken for granted and the lengths that previous generations went to go to secure it. I mean, the idea that you were grinding up the bones of your sons and grandsons back in the early 1800s to fertilize your croplands is kind of grim, but so is dying of certain starvation. So they really didn't have a choice. But unfortunately, you know, that source ran out and then the next source, the guano, ran out and now we are on like the third source. And while there is I believe by some that we're going to, there's, there's rich deposits off the uh, eastern coast of the United States. It's, it's out in the ocean and it doesn't seem to be readily accessible at the moment. But once we get hungry, I guess we'll define what accessible, we'll redefine what accessible means. But I guess what just surprised me is how, how critical it is and how problematic it can be if it's, if it's not used appropriately. Because naturally, phosphorus was meant to be used over and over and over again. It just circled in and out of the living and the dead worlds. It was the circle of life, literally. And we cracked that circle when we figured out how to pull more phosphorus from the earth than it was than was naturally being leached into the environment. And we turned that circle into a line that runs from croplands into our waters. So that surprised me. It seems to be sort of the history of mankind is uh, throwing the world out of balance in a lot of these kind of natural cycles. There's one more to add to the list. But it's one that, like I said earlier, we can work around our dependence on oil through technology, innovation, and commitment, we can't do the same with phosphorus. We, we, you can't make it. You know, it's, all the, all, it's like water. All the water that the Earth has today is all the water it will ever have. And it's the same with phosphorus. But for so long, much of that has been locked up in these rocks, and it made its way into the living world slowly through erosion. And, and we figured out how to basically accelerate that process. I don't know how many fold, but oodles. And we opened a phosphorus gusher for good and ill. To close then, I mean, what's the future of phosphorus? Well, hopefully we're going to a more sustainable future where we're going to figure out how to recycle the stuff that we're already using. Manure is, is a big potential source of phosphorus. I mean, it, it is used today, but it's, it's kind of crude. It's just liquefied and sprayed on fields, but it could be the phosphorus more can be pulled from that waste stream than is being used by crops today. And so that's kind of a low-hanging piece of fruit. And another thing to think about, too, is bigger picture with, with big agriculture. 40% of the corn that we grow today goes to ethanol. And that corn demands a lot of inputs, energy and nutritional, and that includes phosphorus. The more we carry on with this ethanol experiment, the more it's becoming apparent to most everybody who doesn't directly benefit from the production of ethanol that it's not really a net environmental winner. And and that was just based on energy inputs. But when you start factoring in the cost of fertilizing all those acres at the expense of our fresh waters, it really makes you scratch your head and wonder, why we persist with this fuel that is of dubious environmental and even economic benefit. We were talking with Mr. Dan Egan, his new book, The Devil's Element, 
phosphorus, and a world out of balance. Mr. Egan, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thanks for having me. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking. Thank you.